song you're hearing is called Cloister by Joy Shannon and the Beauty Marks, and it is part of an album that releases in six days from today on December 21st, which she chose because it is the winter solstice and is a time for releasing. The amazing Joy Shannon is our guest on today's show, and we talk about her lifelong journey with creativity and healing and how the two intersect. I think this conversation is the perfect note to end 2020 on, no pun intended. And as you listen, I think you'll quickly understand why. Be sure to tune in to the whole episode because we're going to play the entire sneak peek of this special song, Cloister, from the album The Cave, at the end of the episode. We do want to wish you happy holidays and to let you know that we will still be sharing some fun things weekly with you in the coming weeks, but our season four with brand new full episodes will be coming to you starting January 12th. But with no further ado... Here is my conversation with the amazing Joy Shannon. Hi, welcome back. This is Christina Barcy, your host, and I am here with a dear friend today who I am so excited to talk with and share her insights and journey with you. Her name is Joy Shannon, and she's one of those people who's just good at all the things. Her artistic ability crosses many mediums from sketches and painting to acting to writing to makeup and wig design to creating music, which we will delve into quite a bit. She also tattoos and she incorporates a healing vibe in that process. And once again, another one of my guests practices Reiki. So I'm really delighted to introduce the gorgeous and very talented Joy Shannon. Welcome, Joy. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) You've known me so long, I forget that you know all the different jobs I've ever had. (laughs) You know, what's funny is I did most of that from memory. And then I was like, that's right. She did stuff in the theater, too. She used to make wigs and like all all this cool stuff. Yeah. So speaking of that, I, Joy and I go way, way back. So I think it was, a, I did the math. It's about 17 years ago yeah. that I first met you. And I turned 22 that summer in the beautiful, very, very hot Fresno, California during the month of July. <laughs> yep. Yep. The CSU summer arts program. <laughs> yeah. And yep. we did that um, intensive with yeah. the renowned Shakespeare and Company. Yep. And you brought, or you reminded me recently that we lost one of our professors from that experience, Dennis Krosnick. So just want to acknowledge him for a moment and the work that he did. And he was a very passionate and dedicated teacher is how I remember him. Is there anything you want to share about Dennis? Oh my gosh. I mean, that was a life-changing time and not only for the, the lifelong friends that I met like yourself, but because of working with with all of the actors and, and acting teachers that we worked with, but especially Dennis, actually. He was the one who touched my heart, I think, the most deeply mm-hmm. because I was not an actor. I, I just did that because I wanted to get better and more confident at performing my music. So I thought I was in that phase, you know, I was only 21, but I was like, I'll do all the things I'm scared of. What am I most scared of? Acting Shakespeare, that's really scary. I'm dyslexic. So I thought memorizing Shakespeare is the hardest thing in the world, right? Yeah. But actually, they made it really easy or a lot easier because, and Shakespeare, I think, makes it easier to understand because once you get into the rhythm and the flow, it's just beautiful. And I actually Mm -hmm. had a great time memorizing it, uh, which was so surprising to me um, because the visuals are so vivid. So if I got into the imaginative space of it, I actually could do it. But when I first got cast, they cast me as Lady Macbeth. And I panicked because I I always pictured myself as doing small things, Mm. not, not saying that many words on stage ever. And I went up to Dennis and said, I can't do that. I, I'm not really an actor. I'm just here because I wanted to learn, but I, that is so hard for me. And he just looked at me, he listened, and then he just like took a breath and he just goes, yes, you can. 
And that was, oh. that was all I needed to hear. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and wow. I never forgot that. And, and every time I had a panic moment at that, that workshop or later in life, honestly, I always remembered him saying, yes, you can to me. Oh, I just got chills. That's uh, it's, it's interesting how impactful those small moments, what seem to be small moments can have. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And at that workshop, I, I was able to memorize all of that. And I, I had a great time. And I felt like I actually did. It was like the first time I did a performance I was really proud of. So yeah. So wow. That. And you know what? I remember yours. I remember your performance. And there weren't too many that I remember because there was a lot of us and it was a long time ago. But I remember your performance and it was impactful. And it and your presence is, I think, what I remember. It was so you commanded. Oh. I was very admirative of that at the time. Oh, thank you. I, I think that those acting coaches, uh, they all helped me find power in myself that I didn't know I had. Yeah. So that, that, that helped me and it, and it continues to help me to this day with my music, you know, just grounding, using my voice, just being fully in my body and remembering that I can be in my power. You know, that's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't know that actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was a, you know, a private conversation I had with Dennis, but yeah, I I'll never forget that and I I I wish I could have said thank you to him before he passed for that actually. I so I I say that to his spirit now. Yeah, and I'm sure he's receiving it. So, this is where I usually do a formal introduction of my guest, but Joy has a really beautiful artist statement that I found, and I think it's a really good jumping off point for the conversation that we're about to have today. So I am going to read that instead. So in the, in the voice of Joy Shannon, art is in my veins. It is my life, my purpose, my heart. Creating beautiful things to share with the world is my central passion, whether that means Celtic folk music or ritual tattoos. I am a musician, a visual artist, tattooist, and author. I create mixed media visual artworks with painting and printmaking methods alongside emotive musical recordings and performances with my band Joy Shannon and the Beauty Works. In 2013, I apprenticed with the tattoo graffiti artist Mike Giant, and I now travel around the world tattooing. The first subject matter that inspired me was the female body. I have used the feminine form as a jumping off point to express my own personal experiences, as well as Western women's historical experiences of sexual abuse and control, which were largely a result of Christianity's repression of pagan sensuality and goddess worship. In this vein, I often print on layers of old book paper in order to illustrate the idea of centuries of cultural history layering upon itself. I studied cultural history for my master's degree, and many of the themes in my visual art and music come from the idea that we are a culmination of all that historically comes before us. I am deeply inspired on an artistic level by the idea of healing generational wounds that are passed down through families in the forms of abuse and negative belief patterns. My hope is that through my various art offerings, I can be part of the healing process, both for individuals and the world. Thank you for that statement and for the work that you do and officially welcoming you again, Joy Shannon. Thank you for being here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I listening to my own words, I, I always think I almost want to have a conversation with myself and question things like, oh, but do I believe that? Do I? Hmm. hmm well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, my, <laughs> you know, my my um, my last album got me to an interesting place, which will probably make me rewrite that statement because my family history is one that I looked at a lot of um, the negative impacts of not the Christian belief system, but some of the power structures created by Christianity within Ireland specifically, because that's where my family's from, uh, and some of the abuses that happened uh, within some of those Christian institutions. Those are some of the uh, issues that I have addressed in my art, but I don't, I don't necessarily at all have a problem with any spiritual beliefs, including Christianity. 
uh, I actually embrace all different spiritual expressions of spirit and um, energy and love, which I think Christianity is just one of those. But I guess I do have a problem with the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. But I think that's that's one of the things that in my last album that I'm about to put out, it's called The Cave. And I was really delving into the traditional use of caves in ancient Irish shamanic practices. So some pagan practices, but also how that started to be used by Christian monks as well. They, they mm. created spaces for meditation that are cave-like, or also they just used caves. So a lot of the same exact places in the Irish landscape that were once used by the pagans got used by the Christians for similar uh, spiritual purposes. And I think the process of investigating that has made me, I don't know, I think keep, I, I keep trying to keep opening my heart to not blaming any one place for any of the, the abuses or problems that we have that we're healing in this world. There's no one institution. There's no one anything that is the problem. It's just we all, as in human history, we've all hurt each other. <laughs> and we all have things to heal in our in our ancestry. And I think I'm I'm getting softer than I was when I was my rebellious teenager. <laughs> I was angry about a lot of things. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I, that that's my response to my own statement. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because what I'm hearing is a point of evolution and any healing process, there's steps to that and cycles to that. And anger is definitely part of that process. Yes. So it makes sense that we often start in a pain point first, mm-hmm. which can be frustrating, which can bring up things like anger and anger is necessarily a bad thing. You know, I've had, yeah. I've had people come to me before and be like, I don't know what's happening. I'm just very angry and I want to be in a healing place. And it's like, those two things aren't necessarily separate. No. They want, you know, there's this, sometimes we have ideas of how a process should feel. And I find it interesting talking about the shadow parts of that process as well, because yes. there's always both, right? You have the light, you have the dark, and it goes back and forth as we continue to move through it. Yeah. And I noticed that all of us have um, comfort levels with different parts. You know, some of us are more comfortable with the shadow side and some are more comfortable with the light side. Mm-hmm. And, uh, somewhere in between, you know, and I think oftentimes our healing places are the places where we are uncomfortable. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And I like that idea being stated just because I think it's often what we, those of us who don't want to take the time to heal, know it's uncomfortable and stay away from it. And then some of us who want to have this healing journey are surprised that it's so uncomfortable. (laughs) So I think it's worth mentioning that it can feel and look different ways for each person and, and it continues to evolve. So I love that you had a response and questions for yourself from this version of yourself that wrote this when you wrote it and knowing that you've come to accept different things now and through your journey, I've learned from this statement to now. Yeah. I also made friends with a, a nun that has helped me heal a lot, which is very surprising because I was a very angry kid because of some of the abuse that I experienced within a Christian church. And I would never back then have thought I would ever be friends with a nun, but she's the most <laughs> wonderful person. <laughs> but you know, she, she's also one of many different types of spiritual practitioner friends that I have. And I, and I now who I am now, I realize, oh, wow, I see the similarities between her and myself and my friends all my different types of friends of all different religions, more than all the differences, you know. I'm liking that. And I remember you mentioning it and then that, that helped you that you'd met. Um, was she in Ireland? She's in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's go there since we're kind of touching on it already. Yeah. yeah. So I know heritage is a big part of your experience as a creative person, as a healer, just as a human in general, how, how you choose to incorporate that and your own upbringing. Can you tell us a little bit about that first, and then we can jump into you traveling to Ireland and Europe? Yes, yes. So I am Irish. My my last name is Shannon. It's not a stage name. It's my grandfather's name. 
my family come from kind of a troubled family and I'm such an empath that I think my parents issues really had an impact on me because I really I really love them and I really always wanted to see them thrive and be happy and it it, it was hard for me to see as a child what they struggled with you know some mental health and memories of abuse that they had experienced but I learned a lot through that watching them struggle with what they struggled with as I got older I realized that we do have what would be called like intergenerational healing that happens. So I saw in my grandparents what they went through and what they created with their lives. And then I saw with my parents what they went through. And then I saw what I basically inherited from all of them. And I, I wanted to do the best with what I have been given and heal it as much as humanly possible so that I don't pass down anything negative to others around me or, you know, my own kids. I have two stepsons. The biggest part of my family that helped shape my identity, besides being Irish in general, and I always was so shaped by Irish mythology, and every time we would go back to Ireland, just the landscape itself spoke to me. And, and I think I found my spirituality there, just mm. feeling the land and feeling, I really felt my ancestors there. I think one of the most vivid times that I was there was when I was eight years old. I also had always seen ghosts. I just didn't necessarily know what to call them. I saw a lot when I was there, but all sorts of different things. And And I felt songs in the landscape, which I didn't realize until recently that the Irish have a name for, and they call it the fairy songs, that they say that landscapes themselves sing. And if you're listening, you can hear them. And I've always felt that, but I felt that when I was little. I just felt like my ancestors were singing to me. That's what I always wow. thought. And I felt that in Ireland when I was young. And I still do. Like, I feel it. When I go there, I feel like the land is happy to see me. Wow. So I have that those positive, beautiful experiences in Ireland. But I also had the heaviness of some of the, the, the dark things that had happened. Because when I was eight years old we were going back there specifically to meet the part of my family that my dad had not met yet um, because my dad was an orphan mm. and uh, he had his adopted family, which we would see in Ireland as well. But we, uh, we were meeting his, his birth family and uh, his reason for being an orphan was a pretty sad reason. His mother was put into one of those uh, Magdalene laundries. They were these convents where they would send women for any reason, for being pregnant, out of wedlock, for being sometimes just like too pretty. They would just put, oh. a, gir they would just put a girl in a convent because they thought she was just dangerous. If a girl they didn't know what to do with, they would put her there. And um, those places were... They were like a prison because they they were forced to do manual labor, pretty hard labor. They were never convicted of any sort of crime, but they were treated like prisoners. They couldn't leave. And uh, they were there indefinitely until their family either picked them up or they worked off whatever certain years they had to spend. I don't even know how long my grandmother was in one of those, but she was put in for being pregnant with my dad when she was very young. And she had my father in the place. Part of the deal was she she couldn't keep him. She had to sign off her rights to him. And uh, she was forced to give him up for adoption. Oh, and wow. yeah, and essentially the, the uh, Catholic Church was selling the children, making a profit off of them because they were, they were selling them to mostly uh, Irish-American families who didn't really know where the kids were coming from. Wow. But my father... And my grandmother experienced abuse in those places. Knowing what I know now of people that have any sort of PTSD or um, signs of having experienced abuse, they both definitely show those signs or have shown those signs pretty, pretty clearly. Hmm. I, I kind of had to almost be a little bit of a detective in my family to try to unravel some of the story because both my grandmother and my father didn't really want to talk too much about it because it was too hard for them. Mm -hmm. But I was always really determined to face that truth and heal whatever it was that 
I could heal from my point of view as the granddaughter of this kind of legacy. Uh, so I, I talked about it a lot in my art, and that's partly why, you know, in my artist statement, you know, I talk about using the female body a lot in my art. A lot of my early art addressed like sexual abuse and also the ownership of a female body or the tr- the attempt to try to control the female body. That all very much is as influenced by my grandmother's experiences, or at least what I imagined they would have been like. I was very proud in it was 2013 that finally uh, the Irish Prime Minister apologized, made a huge public statement to all the women that were affected by the Magdalene laundries. Mm. And uh, that was a very, very proud day for my family um, because it was it was just a recognition that what happened to my grandmother and my father was wrong. And finally somebody said it. Somebody in authority said that was wrong. We should mm-hmm. never have done that. We made a mistake. doesn't write the trauma that had happened to both of them, but sometimes that's one of the most important aspects of healing is to just put it out there that it was wrong. We shouldn't have done it. Yeah. Is your grandmother still alive? She was still alive when that happened. Yeah. She just, she passed away two years ago now. Okay. Um, So I was, I wrote her a letter because she never wanted to talk to me about that, but I took that as an opportunity to say, I just wrote her a letter saying, I'm so proud of you. And I know that what you experienced was really difficult. And I know that having my father was difficult because it changed your life forever. But I'm here because of that. And I'm really happy that you did that, you know, and made Mm -hmm. all those sacrifices. And I just thanked her for that. My grandmother was a dreamer. She was an artistic person. I think she would have wanted to do a lot of the things that I do. Mm -hmm. And, And I feel like us as women now, sometimes I feel like we should do all the cool stuff. We owe it to our ancestors to do it, travel, to try, experiment, pursue our dreams, because women like my grandmother would have wanted to, but she didn't, she didn't have birth control. (laughs) She, (laughs) she wasn't able to, you know what I mean? She, yeah, like the things that we have now as basic as like being able to have control over our bodies and be able to go to college, <laughs> like amazing. Right. It seems simple, but it's it's huge. It is huge. Freedom it can be mini- minimized in the ways that you're outlining, but the reality is, is as soon as you lose that, you lose everything. Yeah. So it's it's it is huge, and and I love that. I like it in a way of ownership too. The way that you stated it. Yeah, and I I realize I mentioned that nun who became a friend of mine, um, she's part of the story with my grandmother because uh, she was uh, one of the nuns that would go to my grandmother's rest home. Uh, She was in a nursing home for the last uh, about 10 years of her life. Um, That nun would sing songs and she was just a really lovely, like healing person. And she also practices Reiki and she would do energy healing for people at the rest home. But when I did meet this this woman, she really changed my mind a lot because I had been talking to her for about a year when my grandmother's health was declining and she had been the main person who was my contact, communicating with me, telling me how my grandmother was doing since I was in California and she was in Ireland. So grateful for that. But she didn't actually tell me she was a nun initially, I think because she was a little bit <laughs> nervous that I would maybe be not accepting of that. But then she had invited me and I was going to go out and see uh, my grandmother. And she invited me and said that I could stay with her. And I, I really appreciated that. And at that point, that's when she said, you know, I have to tell you that I'm actually a nun. And more importantly, I'm a nun from the same order, the Magdalene order that your grandmother had been abused by. And mm. I chose to be part of that order because I wanted to help heal that order from within because I knew what awful things they had done in the past, but that they were established on a positive principle, like the Magdalene, Magdalena, the symbol of her is very much a healing symbol, a woman that represents the inclusion of all women, no matter what their background is in spirituality. Mm. So, you know, she's a really 
noble and most extremely strong women I've met who can face an institution like that from within. And I'm also not specifically mentioning her name because I don't want anyone to criticize her. She's a she's a healer and she she heals from within and she's a really um, quiet soul. Yeah. So I'd like to dive into the healing journey you've been on a little further. You talked a lot about your journey with wanting to heal your experience, your ancestry, and your connections there for you personally. And you also mentioned that you're clairvoyant or that you see ghosts and have had a spiritual connection for a long time that way. Yeah, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit more about what led you to kind of leaning into things like Reiki? You use it in your tattooing. I do, yeah. 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 Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, thank you. Um, I found a, a wonderful Reiki master who is still practicing. She's in Torrance. And then I just started doing it on friends and my animals. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would always, any any animal in need, I would always do Reiki. Animals are the easiest, I think, to do Reiki on. And I never did it publicly. I think I was still very quiet and shy about sharing spiritual things because I've always been really concerned about not like forcing any spiritual beliefs on anybody because I don't mm. believe in that. I always want to keep really good boundaries with that. Like I feel like spirituality is a very individual journey. So each person knows what's right for them. Um, nobody else knows what's right for you. Yeah. But that said, once I started tattooing, so many years later, I started to offer Reiki finally publicly Okay. with my tattoos. So that's the first time. Okay, so let's shift into that journey a little bit because I I remember when you were like, I think I'm going to move to Europe. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. okay, for how long? And you were like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, wow, okay, cool. And then you did it. <laughs> and I feel like the joy that came back had just came back with, with so much more and mm -hmm. that it wasn't necessarily an easy trip by any means. So oh. <laughs> to me, I look at it with some, cause it's been a little while now and now, you know, reconnecting with you in the last couple of years again as well. And sort of looking back on that moment feels like a shifting moment. Can you just talk us through what ignited in you that basically inspired that trip, how it went, you know, what you discovered there and how it changed your life from that point? Yeah, yeah. Well, up to that point, I'd been doing costumes, like wardrobe, wigs, and then I started teaching visual art. And that was what I was really busy doing. I had got my master's degree because I, I thought, well, I, I think I'll, I like teaching. So I think I'll, you know, keep teaching at the university level and kept trying to get some more reliable jobs within teaching. But I always was just adjunct faculty, which is a pretty unreliable <laughs> job because you never know what you're going to do every semester and mm. I was working at you know four different schools driving all the time and you know after doing that plus doing costuming and such I, I really just got burnt out um, and I was always doing my music too and my own art <laughs> so I needed a change I also was personally frustrated because I, I also wanted to um, find a partner I wanted to you know be with somebody and I I was like not, not meeting anybody for years and years and years and it was like all right I don't know I just need to have a change in my life you know so right prior to that um, I had met my tattoo teacher Mike Giant and I met him because I in that whole search for like I don't know what I want to do but something has to change I decided I would just write articles for my friend's art magazine. So I was just interviewing people because I thought, well, what's a great way to learn about just life is ask people questions. And because I was in a place where I was like, I don't know what to do next. I just, yeah. I just wanted to ask all these people that I admired, great artists, great musicians, just ask them how they got where they were at. That was the best thing I could ever have done because of course I met my tattooing teacher that way, but also I learned a lot from everybody that I met. And it is a weird story. And I feel like it was the universe telling me I needed to not teach anymore because I was mm -hmm. getting burnt out. It was the very last 
week of school before summer. And I didn't have a job over the summer. I was really nervous because my finances were a little unstable. I was stressed, but I was like cleaning up my classroom. Somehow, I don't even know how it happened, but I got hit in the head with a chair that fell off a table and gave me a concussion. And it was a bad concussion. And I know you know how that feels. I do. I do. (laughs) Unfortunately. I know. It it made my head just like, my brain felt like it went like, like moved down and up. Oh, wow. You felt it. It hurt. It, it was this nauseating, horrible feeling. I almost canceled the interview with Mike Giant because it was going to happen like two days later. But something told me to go. I just had this like intuition. I was like, just go, just go. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have any questions prepared, nothing. I just showed up. Oh, boy. <laughs> I just, yeah, exactly. I didn't even research him. I actually didn't even know who he was. I feel so bad. I, I didn't, I just, I know. Does he know this? <laughs> He, he knows, he knows, I, he knows. <laughs> so I show up and I was just out of it. He probably thought I was stoned because I was like concussion, <laughs> like brain was just like, hey, right. hey. And my first question was like, it's so bad. I just go, so tell me about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the interview question everyone dreads, like in a, in a job interview. It's like, so tell me about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the worst interview ever. But Mike is the best. And he just was like, oh, okay. And he just talked my head off. And we just had a great time because he's a sweetheart. And, you know, we, we we actually made friends that way. And I think he liked me because I didn't. Because it was informal. Yeah, I didn't have any preconceived notions about who I thought he was at all. I was just like, hey, tell me, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> And he just That's great. talked and talked and talked. And I was like, great. All right. Cool. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Can I, I'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit about who he is, because it sounds like he's someone who most people know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um, a well-known graffiti artist, uh, illustrator, and tattoo artist. I've been doing just amazing they would call it black work because he primarily works in black and white. Mm. And yeah, it's just an incredible artist. It's always been extremely prolific and just creates like clean, beautiful, beautiful work. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Well-known street artist, I guess in the street genre. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, we, we got to know each other from that interview. He had just moved to LA and he said that he needed friends. He didn't know too many people and he liked me and we ended up hanging out. He invited me to some art shows and we ended up just like becoming friends. And in the process of that, I told him like my life situation with being, um, you know, adjunct faculty and not really knowing what I was going to do next in my life and kind of being in this financially unstable position. And he was like, you know what? You just need a tattoo because then you can control like you always have that as a craft and you can do it. And if you want to teach, you can teach, you can tattoo, you can do whatever you want to do with it. And he's like, I'm going to teach you. Mm. So it was really him. It was his idea. And, and I, I, I couldn't say no. And you draw. You already draw beautifully. So yeah. it sounds like it would make sense, too. Yeah, not just, yeah. Like, if you told me to tattoo, I'd be like, you don't. That's not a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't draw. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, yes, that that definitely helped because I didn't have to learn how to draw to tattoo. I already had that. Uh, I just had to learn the actual skill of tattooing, which is hard. It's oh, hard. I can't. I imagine it being extremely difficult. Yeah, the first the first day I tattooed, I I looked at Mike and I was like, "You've got to be kidding me!" Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I never thought I could get good at it because it, it's hard. You know, it's what just... was the cha- the most challenging part for you in the beginning? Well. Everything, because you're you're drawing, you're drawing with a vibrating, heavy instrument, not a pen, not a paintbrush. That's lightweight, so it's this moving thing. It's awkward when you're not used to it, and you're trying to draw a perfectly straight line on a squishy, stretchy, round surface. Right. Yeah. It's an equation Should... for failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. And when you when you pull a line. You can't see the needle because it's moving so fast. You can't even really see it. You have to do it by feel. 
And then it always puts like a big puddle of ink instead of being able to see where the needle is. It's just a blob of ink. And you're just like, oh, really? Wow. So it's so, it sounds really intuitive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Mike Mike was like, yeah, I just got to practice. You just got to do it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Screw up a lot of people's tattoos and eventually you'll get there. (laughs) Yeah. You got to have a lot of punk rock friends. You don't care to get some shitty tattoos first. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. No, I, I am here as a tattoo artist because I have the most wonderful friends and and a lot of my former students who let me tattoo them when I was in my first year of learning. So God bless them all. I all say there there's a special place in heaven for all the people who let a tattooer learn on them. So, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And her art is gorgeous now. Don't worry, everyone. Like, it's go check out her Instagram. We'll put that in the show notes. And I actually have a tattoo from Joy as well, which I love. Which oh yeah. I'm probably going to get more because now I'm a little addicted. But um, okay, so so back to the story. All right, so you're getting apprenticed by by Mike Giant, and then what happens? Yeah, that's my last year of teaching before I moved to Europe because um. I apprenticed with him for a year and I was still making money as a teacher. And then I lost most of my teaching jobs. It was just an odd turn of events. And I felt like it was just a sign. I was like, all right, I already was tired. I needed a change. I loved it though. That's That was the heartbreaking thing was I loved the actual teaching. I love my students. And luckily I still see and hear from a lot of them and they're all doing great and I'm very proud of them. And, you know, so many artists have gone into the world that I'm so proud of that I was able to have a a little time with when they were students. Yeah. Um, Well, one of them is my assistant. Oh, that's right. Oh, I love her. I love her, Brandy. <laughs> shout out to Brandy because she's looking yes. <laughs> forward to listening to this episode. So definitely shout out to Brandy. She's freaking amazing. Yes. I love her so much. And she's like a gift in my life now. So yeah, she's yeah. one of the most talented artists, just a cartoonist, just a very creative art historian. Just the way she views the world is is mm-hmm. so wonderful. She has so much to offer. And I know she's on to do great things as as her life evolves. And Yes, yes. Yeah, she has a podcast too about those things called yeah. Art Sistery. <laughs> it's very funny. It's <laughs> very cute. And she traveled the world to do it, which is yeah. very impressive. Not many people can say that. And she's also extremely organized, which is great. She's magnificent yeah. at that as well. She's wonderful. That's Everyone true. check out her podcast. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense that you loved teaching. And it's always really hard to let go of the parts of our lives that we've created and that we love and leaned into for so long. Yeah. But sometimes, right, the letting go happens. Like sometimes we don't get to control it. Like the universe starts pushing us in that direction. Yep, yep. So that we can turn the page. Yep. Yeah, I feel like I feel like the the concussion that I got was a sign that's kind of started me that direction and then that it made sense that the next year was my last year teaching mm-hmm. and I was learning how to tattoo while that was happening, but I also had no thought about tattooing for a living at the time. It was so hard. I I really had no thought that I could be good at it the, at, oh. during that time because I was like, "Oh god." <laughs> this is going to take forever. You know, exactly. That's the way it felt. But when I realized that I wasn't going to have as, as many teaching jobs as I needed to pay for all of my bills, I just had a moment. I, and maybe it was like a turning 30 crisis or something. I'm not sure. But I was like, I've always wanted to live in Europe. I haven't yet. Uh, I don't have a partner. I don't have all my jobs that I need to pay all these bills. And I just was like, ah, fuck it. Let me just do it. You know? So I just put everything in storage. I, I got a teaching job teaching English in Italy and just went there. I didn't even care where I was going. That's why I just said, I'm moving to Europe. I have no idea where I'm going to go. I just thought of it as a reset. Ironically, I get to, to Italy and my job fell apart. You know, I had a contract. I had signed a contract, said they had a place for me to live and I would be working there for one year. And they just kind of threw that out the window. Wow. And it was just chaos. And I was like, oh, now I'm in a foreign land and uh, don't really have a job. Okay. 
interesting. But then I talked to Mike Giant and he goes, well, I have a lot of Italian friends. And he hooked me up with some Italian friends, all very nice people. Like he designed the a lot of art for the Cinelli bike team. So, oh, yeah. So there was like this Cinelli bike racer in my town who he connected me to, who was a really <laughs> nice guy. It was really funny. So Mike was like, well, just tattoo. And I'm like, I'm not good enough yet. He's like, you're good enough. And I'm like, I don't speak Italian. He's like, that eh, doesn't really matter. Just just make friends. And he was like, just make friends with, you know, like the bike team people or the, you know, like all these people and just start tattooing. And so I was like, all right, okay, I guess it was like the universe kicking me in the butt. Like I had no excuse anymore not to try, even though I was scared to. I feel like this is another Dennis moment of someone just going, you can do it. Just go it, do was. It. <laughs> it was. It was. I guess, you know, I've been really lucky. I am here because I've had so many wonderful mentors. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I didn't have very good mentors. Like my father and my mother weren't good mentors at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite the opposite. Very discouraging of me doing my art. But I found in the world so many other people that blessed me, you know. With, with with exactly the messages I needed to hear at the time. That's really beautiful that you got to have that. And I think that because you're so inquisitive and curious and open and wanting to grow, that you stayed open to that as well, instead of shutting yourself off, saying, well, I'm not finding it where I want it, so I'm not going to look. Well, you know, I always might, I don't really like the Rolling Stones that much, but I like the one song that they sing that says uh, you can't always get what you want but you get what you need yes I always felt like that's actually really true thanks Rolling Stones <laughs> it is really true it's a, that's a perfect metaphor for this it's exactly what I'm saying yeah I, I think it is really beautiful that there's someone there going just go just go do it so you exactly. went and did it yeah I did it and I was like all right and I'm shy and I have anxiety I, I also side note I, I have post-traumatic stress disorder and doing everything I also have a service dog Mm -hmm. and my my trip to to Europe I was doing it all with a service dog and an anxiety disorder which is what I think made me very proud of myself for doing it changing everything like getting myself out of all comfort zones and you know my dog she 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 passed away this year but she she um I, I owe it no, thank you. Shanti. Like I owe so much to Shanti. Like I Shanti. She she was my my um my sidekick. But yeah, she got me through that time. Whenever I was scared, I would just like look at Shanti and be like, All right, you and me, we're in Italy. What are we gonna do? And we'll make it through. Yeah. I'll figure it out, you know. But Mike Giant, as I was on this crazy adventure, he was always encouraging me via email and he was like, Well, just meet everybody. You can't tattoo unless you make friends. Um, he's like, go to the tattoo shops, just talk to people. I met all sorts of really nice people. And then I saw this one tattoo convention that was in Florence, and which was a train ride away. I had very little funds, but I was like, okay, I feel like I actually should go to this. And I didn't know why, but I had this intuition that I needed to go. And it cost me like 50 euro to get into the convention. And I went and... Uh, Florence is a beautiful city anyway, so it was a lovely time. And I actually saw Brandy, your your <gasps> assistant. She was studying in Florence at the time. So it was actually Oh my quite, gosh. It was quite nice. It was a funny turn of events. Oh, that's but, great. Uh, yeah, so that was very comforting to see her out there when I was on this adventure. But the convention, I had been talking to Mike, a giant, my my teacher, saying, Okay, as I'm learning how to tattoo and getting better. I feel that I want to use tattoos to help people because I know that anytime people tell me about their stories of tattoos, they're telling me really intimate stories about their life. And sometimes they get tattoos for reasons like memorials, something really sad happened in their life. They lost someone they they love or they have something that they want to mark that's really important, like something empowering, like a lesson that they learned that's really important to them and who they are as an individual. So they want to mark it on their body. Um, So I was learning this as a a new tattoo artist. And I told him, I said, you know, I want to make 
what I do healing and make it like a ritual, but I don't really know what that would look like. He was very encouraging. He's like, you can do anything you want. He's like, you can do like a tarot reading for people when you do a, a tattoo session or uh, he, he, you know, encouraged me to do Reiki or anything. He's like, you can make it anything you want. And he's mm. like, you, you make your practice your own, you know? So I thought that's cool, but I still needed to see, I think other people in action who were making tattooing a ritual, because I think I needed to know that whatever I was imagining wasn't crazy, you know, that it was out there and that people needed it and wanted it. Mm. So going back to Italy, I go to this, this tattoo convention in Florence and I go into this convention, which was in this beautiful old fort. It was beautiful, but it's full. It was actually pretty quiet considering conventions can be really boisterous, but I don't even know how I did it, but I just like walked as if I knew where I was going. I walked straight to this one booth that was way in the corner and I saw this very quiet Viking man <laughs> dressed like a Viking hand tattooing so not using machine tattooing by hand hand tapping mm. um, a tree of life tattoo into somebody and he was singing very very quietly while he did it and I stood there and I was like oh these are my people oh wow and and I watched him and I was like that's what I was that he's who I was coming here to see and I'm like, he, yes. And so I, I watched him for a bit. And then I was like, I'm going to come back when he's done with his tattoo. And I need to meet this man. And I did. I came back. And it was really perfect because somehow intuitively I came back exactly when he finished. <laughs> and he looked up at me because the whole time before he was doing, he was looking at what he was doing, of course. But the second he looked up at me, we made eye contact. And he said... I don't know how he knew to speak English, but he spoke to me in English. He, I mean, he's, he's German, but he spoke to me in English and he said, you're a witch. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, and I, you know, that word uh, is something I've had to become more okay with because it has heavy negative connotations from the past. But um, I realize, oh, he means that in a good way. And yeah. I go, okay. Yes, I am a good witch. <laughs> and, you know, and he meant it as a compliment. And, uh, and, and that, that tattooer is my friend Kai Ui Faust now, who um, owns the shop uh, that I tattoo at in Copenhagen. But we became friends because I, I met him at that convention. And I saw what he did. And I set it as a personal goal. Um, I told him, I said, I'm not good enough yet but I want to be good enough to tattoo at your shop. And I, I want to make my own version of, of a ritual. He does Nordic tattoos mm -hmm. and I want to specialize in Irish because I'm Irish and I want it. I want to keep doing things that celebrate my ancestral past. And I know that there's a need in, in, in a lot of Irish people to do something that's ancient Irish and reconnect to the ancient parts of our our ancestry because lots of people like the people that kai tattoos they're trying to connect to their ancient ancestors through getting those tattoos as well but they're nordic ancestors so i had this moment where i was like i found my people okay cool and it gave me this wonderful sense of purpose and that was a major thing that i found when i was in europe couldn't have found it without seeing that and meeting him and then realizing, okay, now I have my goal mm -hmm. and now I can, I can do it anywhere. And um, I, I actually moved to Sweden for a, a short time after that, tattooed a lot of punk rockers who are amazing, who, bless them, let me tattoo them. Wow. And uh, met also another soulmate friend of mine in Sweden who I tattooed out of his house, uh, my oh, friend wow. Robin. But so that was part of my journey and, you know, just an amazing part of my journey. But it made me go, I'm not teaching anymore. I am tattooing. And I just didn't know it until that moment in Florence. And then when I was able to finally tattoo at Kai, Kai's shop, Kunsten Pakroppen in Copenhagen, <laughs> uh, it was only like uh, maybe like 
maybe about two years later, but I was so proud of myself because I was like, I reached that goal. Yeah. You know, that, that was what I wanted. And that's why I pushed myself really hard to get good at tattooing. Interestingly, when I went to tattoo there, he asked if I would play a little music show at his shop uh, because he also knew I was a musician. He's also a musician as well. And at the time, his band was just starting out. His band is called Highland. And uh, I met them, his his friends that he makes music with, uh, Christopher and Maria. They're amazing. But I met them all just because I was tattooing there. And then Kai, he's the one who said, you should record with Christopher. He would mm-hmm. do a great job with your music. And uh, that's who recorded my last album, this one that we're about to release. But it's all because of that interesting connection. So wonderful. I love the full circle of mm-hmm. this. And it's partially why I had you tell that part of the story at this point in our conversation, because I do want to talk about your album a little bit. Thank you for sharing all of that. First of all, that's such a beautiful journey. And I love how intuitive it is and how sometimes <laughs> letting go is uncomfortable, especially when we're when we do love those parts of our lives that we don't want to let go of quite yet, but they're yeah. causing friction or pain and something needs to change. Yeah. But just the intuitive unfolding throughout that journey. I, I love that story. So thank you for sharing it again with me and for the first time for our listeners. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for listening. So let's talk about your album. Tell me the title of the album. What you talked a little bit about the meaning of it already, but if you could just refresh our memory a little and then talk about the release and what this album was and the inspiration for it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this this new album is called The Cave. I wrote it over the last few years. Uh, so it took me actually maybe about two years. I had set a goal that I wanted to record it with the producer Christopher Yule, who is in the band Heilung. He does like Viking folk music and He's amazing, and I, I knew that he, I just had this feeling that he was going to be the best to to make this album with, and I wanted to do something different, something I had never done before, and so I chose to wait, actually, for when he was available, so there was ah. a little bit of some time that it took, you know, just we had, to, we had to work with his schedule and his touring schedule with his band, but absolutely worth the wait, because it was the best recording process I've ever experienced. It was it was hard, as all albums are hard in different ways. Every time I do it, I'm always like, oh, what's going to be hard about it this time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever challenge, <laughs> you know. But this one, it, it, was, it was wonderful. And it was, I think the hard part of it was I had to keep reminding myself that I had earned my right to be working with people I really loved and admired that I belonged there. Wow. So like a little bit of imposter syndrome creeping in. Yeah, a little bit. How did you work through that? You know, um, I thought of one of my actor friends, Brian Vestal. If he listens to this, he'll get a kick out of it. He always just said, you know, the the loving fake it till you make it. I thought of him because he always made me laugh. But I also, the songs, you know, the songs, if I just let them do their magic, I matter less. So Mm. it's like when I sing, I have to think about releasing any tension so that I am just a channel. So my body becomes an instrument. I matter less. So my my fears, Mm. my brain, my thoughts, they matter less. I let things flow. So I had to really keep just staying in that flow. So staying focused and remembering sounds like the purpose like which is the music and the work the importance of the work yeah yeah um just believing in that thank you for sharing that and well in the the album itself I always feel like every album is my is part of my spiritual journey in some way so each album is I write it through going through whatever I'm going through in that time in my life so it teaches me whatever I need to learn at that time I feel like but this album is called The Cave And I decided it came to me when I went into a cave in Crete and I heard the sound of that Mm. cave. And it was a cave that was used by Neolithic people for rituals and 30,000 years ago. 
and going there, you could still feel that. You felt like the ghosts of 30,000-year-old people. And the cave felt like it had a beating heart. It felt like it was alive. And it was like, it felt like a concert was still going on inside. And I, I felt like, wow, I want to know more about the use of caves in spiritual ritual. And so I started learning about it and I realized I just want to write songs about this idea, all the ideas, the themes of caves, you know. And of course, of course I took it from from Crete, I took it to Ireland and was learning about caves in Ireland, how they were used by uh, ancient pagans and then how they were used by monks, uh, Christians and and they were used for really, you know, you you go in like the ancient druids would go in to a meditation and they had the concept of staying in the darkness for nine months to be reborn. So they, they spent, wow. They spent time in isolation as if they were inside the belly of a goddess and then they were reborn. Wow. I thought how wonderful that is and how also scary because when you go into these places, you think, Oh yeah, yeah caves are cool and then you go inside and they're really scary sometimes because I think we're all on a very deep ingrained level afraid of the dark you know and when you uh, some of the caves I've been in you know I stood and I stared into the just the pitch blackness and I tried to face those fears inside myself and uh wow and that's really what I wrote a lot of the songs about I can't help but make the comparison of now what everyone's experiencing and in isolation as much as or more than we're used to, most of us, and the fact that it's been exactly nine months now. (laughs) So what if it, what if we are just in the belly of a goddess with handed an opportunity to be reborn? I would love that. That's a wonderful way to look at it. I feel that way underneath all of this. And I think a lot of us are awakening during this time that maybe haven't stopped to take that time with themselves before. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing a lot of sparks and a lot of pain because like we mentioned at the top of this conversation, that healing is a struggle. So amidst all of the unfortunate reality of the disease that's at the core of this and that we are actually losing lives for those of us who are not losing our lives I feel like it can be an opportunity of a rebirth yeah and facing fears facing yeah exactly you know, we always I yeah. no matter what we are always better after we face a fear agreed yes yes at least facing it if that's the one step you take I think you're right you're better for it yeah yeah, so uh, yeah, the the album's really about that and I recorded it in um the end of 2019 in in Copenhagen, uh, not knowing what was going to happen in 2020. I intended to release it earlier this year, but I just didn't know with the timing of um COVID and the shutdowns and everything. I just didn't know when was right and ultimately I ended up choosing to release it for the winter solstice. Uh, December 21st this year, because that day is symbolically a day of release, you know, releasing this past year and opening yourself up to the light again, coming back into the, the earth when you're in the Northern hemisphere. And, and right, right. so I, I thought, well, you know, I want this album. I, I want to put it out. I'm excited about it. So I thought, you know, it feels like an album of 2020 somehow. So it needs to be out this year. So, yeah, I feel that too. And I haven't, I've only heard, I was very lucky to hear a little bit of it and I think it's beautiful. And I've heard a lot of your music and I can feel the, the power in this one in a way that, I mean, they're all like, I really love your music. It's all gorgeous and it's all meaningful, but there's something special about this one. Thank you. Well, I feel like we always get better. We keep, you know, I always felt like I got to keep plugging away and um, keep making albums and they always do get better. Back when I was in high school and I started writing songs, I told myself, I'll write all my shitty songs now. So then 
I'll, I'll start writing better songs later. <laughs> so that's very <laughs> wise of you because so many of us don't want to do that. We just want to be good right away. And for you to have that wisdom at that age is pretty amazing. So it takes time. I mean, yeah, it takes time. It does. And uh, I do want to point that out because, because so many of us struggle with that. It's like, yeah, it took, it took a lifetime to, to get where you are now and, and it'll continue to evolve as you keep going. And, and so we have it to look forward to on December 21st. Yes. Yes. And where we can pre-order though, right? Yes. Yeah. So on, on my Instagram, um, I have all the links you can pre-order on, um, well, my website too, my website, Bandcamp, and, uh, my Instagram, all of it is all there. Okay. Do you want to tell us what those handles are? Yeah. Instagram is at Joy Shannon, just my name, Joy Shannon. My website is Joy Shannon and the beautymarks.com. And then my band camp is, is uh, also, it's, it's just Joy Shannon, the beauty marks on band camp. Yes. Awesome. All that. Yay. I'm so excited to have it come out and you're doing a fun releasing ritual right with your yes. with your yeah. audience <laughs> yeah anybody who would like to participate because it is happening on the winter solstice and i know a lot of my my followers do their own winter solstice rituals just some people do like burning bowls or some people play music or write poetry or celebrate in different ways um, setting up altars i've invited anybody who wants to share their process of release since 2020 has been such a challenging year to say the very least. I figured this particular season is a really important time for us to release anything that's been so difficult that we that we need to let go of for the new year. Yeah. So do they send that to you through your Instagram or what's yes. the best way? Yeah, yeah. So Instagram direct message is great. Yeah. So just at Joy Shannon. Yeah, I'm I'm collecting those and I I'll post them. I, I didn't think about it, but if anybody wanted to stay anonymous, they could. They don't have to share their name or they can tell me if they don't want to share their name. But um, but if they also want to share their name, that's fine, too. Very cool. Well, thank you, Joy. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I appreciate you being here with us and sharing your journey and talking creativity and healing with us. Thank you. No, it's my pleasure. It's so nice to talk to you. And yeah, thank you so much for putting on your podcast and all the beautiful work you do in the world. Oh, thank you. 